Well, we'll, we'll talk about recruiting when it's recruiting season. Except now with Billy Napier, it's always recruiting season for the Florida Gators. You are Locked On Gators, your daily podcast on the Florida Gators. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Joining me now for Locked On Gators is John Garcia, Locked On's recruiting insider. And before we get into it, I'd like to thank absolutely nobody uh, because we're getting right right into it with John. And Florida's got quite a few recruits on campus this week. They do have one commit on campus this weekend in DJ Lagway. But for once, we're not talking about him too much. But we are going to talk about someone who might be protecting him Jonathan Daniels, uh, four or five star offensive tackle, depending on where you look at. He's on campus this week, but what kind of player is he potentially going to be protecting uh, DJ Lightway? He is kind of fitting that mold of that ascending tackle body and talent that everybody is is either drawn in on right now or will be uh, soon thereafter. Uh, everybody wants to find that next kind of Charles Cross athletic former tight end Jalen Carter was in this mold coming out of high school as well guy who's a basketball player played tight end and then kind of just keeps moving inside now he's playing uh, as a two-way lineman uh, at the high school level at uh, at Pine Four shout out to Jacob Copeland uh, not sure how that's going to be received but I, I like it I when like I think it. of Pine yeah. Forest that's who I think of one of the, yeah I, I love Cope so I'm cool with it <laughs> one of the funnest recruitments to cover uh, in a large margin but yeah so Daniels has that, right? 6'4", 6'5", 285 or so, um, but he's grown. He's grown into this 285. So he's got all these athletic, smaller guy traits in a bigger guy body, uh, and it translates incredibly well in this day and age of, of this great sport of football, whether it's at tackle or on the defensive line. Honestly, defensively, he flashes instinctively like crazy, where you could understand if a school wants him from a floor perspective on that side of the ball, but obviously – when you talk about trajection and projection, um, it, it's got to be offensive tackle. I mean, the length, the athleticism, the ability to mirror these smaller and quicker pass rushers that are becoming more prevalent, uh, it, it screams upside when, when you look at Jonathan Daniels on tape. And he's getting bigger every step of the way on top of it. So you could see why his recruitment and his ranking, I guess, simultaneously has, has kind of blown up here. So, uh, you know, Panhandle kid, Pensacola kid, so naturally um, – that's kind of the region of programs that are all in on this kid right now, right? Florida, Florida State, you know, the, the rest of the SEC is is getting interested. Auburn, I think, uh, just hosted him in January for a visit. They're doing a, a lot better on the trail under Hugh Freeze. So this will be a battle. This, I think, won't be an easy to see victor. Uh, I don't think there's a built-in favorite here in this recruitment. So uh, Florida getting him on campus, offering to this point, because he's going to get a bunch more Going forward, I think those are advantageous positions uh, for UF to be in. I think uh, another offensive line recruit was talking to me about UF, and they were talking about this multi-coach dynamic uh, on the offensive line as, as such a benefit and a plus. Imagine for a guy who's played so many positions making that move to, to offensive tackle, let's say, at a school like Florida – it's even more of an advantage for for a Jonathan Daniels. So I, I don't see this visit going poorly in any way, shape, or form. And I think Florida is going to stay 
right in the thick of this recruitment. And it's a big one. I mean, on on three, he's a top 10 player in America, you know, and I could see their reasoning there. Uh, So I I like his ascent uh, and I like the Gators position before he started to kind of go crazy on the recruiting trail. This is going to be an interesting recruit to keep an eye on. And he could end up as, as maybe the top prospect in Florida. And anytime you're in that conversation, it's a big deal, not only for the Gators to, to compete and win that type of battle, um, but to be in this early on, on that type of riser, I, I think is really important. Yeah. And, you know, I, I like that you mentioned the multi-coach dynamic with Rob Sale being offensive coordinator, O-line coach, Darnell Stapleton being assistant O-line coach. How does that kind of play in, especially for a player like Jonathan Daniels, where a, a lot of just the discussion we just had was, potential upside trajectory how does that kind of go in for a player where you've got two main offensive line coaches one of them has nfl experience helped andrew thomas become one of the best young tackles in the nfl as well as being the guy who recruited and developed osiris torrens for most of his college career and then darnell stapleton who has nfl playing experience so if you're a guy where your ceiling's high your your pure projection at this point how does that kind of play in to have that resume on the offensive line well you're going to hear so many pitches from schools about that projection right about hey if you do this if you buy into this blah 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 so hearing it from multiple coaches at the same school is a big deal especially with like you said that variance that they bring with their personal experience and let's be honest that that co-offensive coordinator tag is a big deal right you're talking about an offensive system that is going to be very o-line friendly i mean just look at last year even though you had what's looking like a top 10 pick at quarterback all of a sudden, you know, this was a run dominant team and and there's not an offensive lineman on planet earth that doesn't want to go downhill and run the football. And what helps you most in your transition from project to prospect it's, it's comfort, right? And, and everybody's a little bit more polished as a run blocker early on. So I think the Florida situation is ideal for offensive linemen. I expect them to splash much more, in this class of 24 with that dynamic. Uh, and, and yeah, you could understand why the the personal pitch makes a lot more sense at Florida because you've got a lot of the buzzwords recruits look for, right? <laughs> you got a coordinator tag in there, you've got NFL experience, and you've got development of multiple first-round picks at tackle and guard. So you, you really, no matter how it plays out, even if Daniels blows up and he's a 330-pound guy who has to move inside one day, like that box is checked as well with Osiris Torrance, who's about to be a first rounder. So I think it, it's kind of a 360 view for these offensive linemen. So I expect this class, especially based on what we saw on the field last year with Florida, I expect this class to, to hit a lot better uh, on the offensive line. And, and maybe it'll be the strength of, of the entire 24 cycle when, when all is said and done. I'm that high on those coaches sticking together and, and the type of targets that Florida's in on at this point. The midway point of the NBA season is here. Now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, which is America's number one sportsbook, because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. And I will tell you this. The other day, I was talking about a parlay that just went horrible. Yesterday, Derek White got injured. Or, sorry, Wednesday. Derek White got injured and completely screwed my parlay, um, which I don't blame him for, but it, it sucks. Uh, <laughs> so that's all I can say about it is that it sucks. And then LSU losing screwed up another parlay. So thanks for that, LSU. Hate you even more now. Don't miss your chance to get your no sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel. 
fanduel.com slash locked on. That's fanduel.com slash locked on to learn more. And I mean, maybe the strength of the 2024 class is the offensive line strength of the 2023 class offensively, at least was wide receiver. And Florida's got a couple of receivers on campus this weekend. We'll start with BJ Gibson, a, a three or four star athlete, depending on where you look, but Florida's recruiting him as a wide receiver. So what kind of player would Florida potentially get in BJ Gibson? I'm a fan of BJ. He's smooth. He's productive. Uh, Two-sport guy. He wants to play baseball at the next level, which, hey, we're talking SEC baseball. That's a big deal. That, that kind of speaks for itself. But as a wide receiver, yeah, there's a lot to like here. Naturally, with the baseball background, you expect them to track the ball well and have good hands and coordination. Yeah, those boxes are checked. But I really like B.J., after the catch, I like his his instincts, his just kind of overall football playing ability. And I think when you look back at last year's class, if we wanted to be nitpicky on some elements that could have been missing from that receiver hall, you know, you had your big physical vertical downhill threat. Uh, you had your speed burner with with Wilson. You had your balanced all around guy with Andy Jean, who is a breakout candidate, by the way. You maybe didn't have that bubble screen guy who can not only outrun guys, but also be a little bit physical and and make them miss with physicality, not just speed and quickness like Eugene Wilson. And I think that's what BJ could bring to the table. He's a guy you can absolutely throw the bubble to or or hand off the ball to on a jet sweep, just as much as you could watch him, you know, running a 15 yard dig uh, in front of the safety and then outrunning him thereafter. So I think there's a completeness to BJ's game that maybe isn't reflected uh, on the recent halls uh, for Florida. So that's something uh, interesting just from a variance perspective as you build receivers. But, of course, uh, need a receivers coach. That, that's kind of the next step from, from Florida's perspective here. Um, you know, BJ's, I think, taking his time. He was committed to Tennessee baseball, backed off of that in January. So I think he's going to take his time, take a bunch of visits. He's still not to the level of Daniels from an ascent, standpoint he's still though on the rise i think he's still going to collect a few more scholarship offers so i think he's going to take his time with the process but florida has done a really nice job initially carrie colbert was was kind of an ace in the hole for gibson i think if he was still around we'd feel a lot better about you know maybe putting him on commitment watch or accelerating his recruitment altogether but i think with that tennessee baseball decommitment i think he's going to take his time just a bit but look florida's going to get him back on campus and sell their system more so than a specific positional coach. And I think the timing of that is important because if you're BJ, you're like, hey, what does this look like? You know, and now Billy Napier can tell him, hey, we're interviewing guys or, or whatever the process is, you can get the update from, from the head coach himself and kind of go from there, which probably sets you up for another visit, a return visit, maybe as, as spring ball is, is in full swing or, or we get closer to the official visit window. So I think Florida's in a really nice spot for BJ despite uh, losing out on, on Kerry Colbert. So you mentioned Kerry Colbert gone. Uh, it's going to matter for some players. There is a player who said doesn't matter for him in Mario Craver, who's athlete slash wide receiver. He said nothing's changed with Kerry Colbert gone, but what kind of player is he before we even talk about uh, my biggest question about him? <laughs> He's lightning in a bottle, uh, you know, small, fast, uh, explosive uh, the track times back it up. Uh, I've seen Craver in person multiple times. Uh, this is an electric player. Um, I, I think he can work the slot and he's got room to polish up a little bit, but you just can't teach the breakaway speed that that he possesses. And again, size is, is going to come up, I'm sure, in your next question. And and for a lot of people, for, for the rest of, of Craver's career, 
unfortunately for him. But um, he's, you know, he's doing it in the highest classification in Alabama. They won a state title two years ago with him as him and Jalen Mbakwe as kind of the lead guys. Mbakwe is an Alabama commit. Um, and, and it was really all about, you know, getting vertical. But there's there's some polish to him, uh, more more to be had. Um, and he'll fill out as time goes on. But he's he's a blur. I mean, he's he's like a I think he's a 10, 5, 10, 6 guy in a 100 meter dash. So this, these are real wheels when you talk about Mario Craver. And he's doing it on Friday night's in Birmingham against truly elite competition, playing the Kelby Collinses of the world uh, every single Friday night. So um, I think that kind of, it eases some of the concerns with, with the size and the frame, but the production and, and the modern fit uh, in almost any type of offense is, is there at least from a, a gadget or, or return player perspective. Yeah. And, that's kind of what I would imagine him being. Five foot nine, 150 pounds is what he's listed at. Take that how you will. If you want to trust those <laughs> things, we'll see. But uh, if you're an SEC program, obviously like Florida is, and SEC tends to be more physical than, you know, Pac-12, ACC. How do you go about kind of bringing him in and going through that recruitment? Do you just hope like, hey, growth spurt, or do you hope that you can <laughs> – add some mass to his frame while not sacrificing that athleticism or like you said, without sacrificing him being a blur. Yeah. To a degree. Yeah. You, you want him to, to try to put on some weight. I think he's probably heard that his whole life, but look, he's, he's a young guy. He's still got a year of high school ball left. He's playing multiple sports, running track this time of year. So it's going to be tough to, to put the pounds on at least on the front end. But look, when you get into an SEC strength and conditioning and nutrition program, it, it changes quickly, even for the smallest guys. You know, we tend to focus on the bigger ones. Hey, can you trim weight? The Ethan Whites of the world, can you trim down, do all those things? But, yeah, these these little guys got to add weight simultaneously. And when they do get there, it's curated to maintain that speed because, yeah, that's, that's your calling card, right? So that's something that is, is non-negotiable in terms of transformation. If anything, you got to enhance it at the next level. So yeah, there's precedent for guys like that. Um, and I actually think of a former teammate when I think of, of Craver, I think of squirrel white um, is at Tennessee. Uh, he was the senior on that state title team two years ago at clay Chalkville high school, same kind of size, right? Tiny, but as Tennessee's season wore on, they dealt with some injuries in the receiver core squirrel white as a freshman, I believe made a bunch of plays at the end of the year in 22 in that style of offense. Now, Florida's isn't similar too much to, to what Josh Heupel is doing, but in principle, get the small, fast guy in space uh, to help win his his battle and, and get him, you know, to the sidelines or vertically thereafter. Uh, so I, I think that's some recent precedent. But look, I mean, Canarius Tony was was pretty small. Uh, there's 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 examples of this throughout not only you know SEC football, but but all of of modern college football. Uh, so I do think it's a little easier to live as that small fast guy today than, than even 10 years ago. So I do think it's, it's not as big of a concern as, as it used to be. Although if, if you watch any combine coverage this week, that's all they're going to talk about with uh, a certain QB one. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I will ask you this since you actually evaluate high school players, do you add a, a pro or a con if someone's considered a, a gadget type? Cause I know, 
I started out in media covering the NFL draft and gadget was always a negative thing to people. And I was like, that's a positive to me. Like just, just get the dude in space and let him make plays. How do you look at that as an evaluator from high school to college? I think when I started in this business, I viewed it as a negative, right? You're talking 2010, 2011. So yeah, kind of in that era where we're still valuing bell cow running backs, but it's starting to change, but just a little bit, right? But now we're on the other side. Right. You know, gadget is a good thing nowadays. If you could get, I just mentioned Kadarius Tony, if you get Kadarius Tony seven, eight manufactured touches in a game, you feel good about that because he's wild enough to, to break one of those. Uh, so, or, or to just make something crazy happen in the process. So you're willing to gamble uh, with, with that respect. So, yeah, I think gadget in this day and age, spread offenses, you want to move defenses uh, and challenge them. So even if you don't, manufacture a touch for a Mario Craver type of, of prospect, he draws attention because you just know, oh, this this is speed. Let me let me back up. You know, it changes your mental perception as as a secondary player or as a defensive player overall. So I think gadget players are good things. Even the threat of speed in any way, shape or form can can really affect you. I mean, look at the Super Bowl to go back to Tony and the Chiefs. They ran the same play for the two biggest touchdowns of the game, one to Tony, one to Sky Moore. They just did it on the other side of the field. But it was the motion. It was the threat of the fastest guy on the field crossing the the, the, field, the formation that basically jumbled up everything for Philadelphia, and, and it created two of the easiest touchdown passes Mahomes would ever have to throw. And it won in the Super Bowl, essentially. So that threat is, is something that is timeless in this sport. So if that is your gadget – I'm totally good with it. And yeah, we should place emphasis on it because it's it's leading to Super Bowl trophies. Yeah. Kadarius Tony in the Super Bowl, two touches, 70 yards. One touch was, was a five-yard right. touchdown. And the other one was 65-yard punt return, longest punt return in Super Bowl history. So I think pretty much everybody would uh would be would be perfectly fine taking that one. It's March. Jeez. <laughs> okay, it's March. <laughs> New Year's resolutions come and go, and they've been gone for most people at this point, but the summer is coming. It's the opposite of Game of Thrones. The summer is coming. Put Built Bar in your plan to help you get summer bod ready, coated in 100% chocolate, so you get that sweet taste to it. Most bars have 130 calories and just four net carbs, along with 17 grams of protein, so they are Perfect for you and your diet plan to get that summer bod ready, because Lord knows I need to. And they are finally in store, so go to builtorbuiltbar.com, go to your local Walmart or Sam's Club, and get yourself a Built Bar. The last person that we're going to talk about today is not even really talking about him specifically, but it's athlete Josiah Davis by pretty much every major ranking site, not, not ranked anywhere yet. Last cycle, Florida was in on wide receiver Tyree Patterson, even had him committed before anybody really gave a crap about him. Like he was low ranked. And when he came in, it was like, okay, he's either going to rise and Billy's going to look good or he's going to stay the same and Billy's going to look like he's swinging at these no name players, which he ended up not even joining this team. So, yay. Um, but. For Florida or for any school, really, what goes into evaluating and recruiting these very under the radar players? I think it just comes from comfortable evaluations and kind of understanding who you are as a as a recruiter, as an evaluator. Um, there's really no precedent for 
the schools that wait to go in on some of these type of players like a Josiah Davis. Uh, if anything, all of the data suggests you should go in early on, on these type of players. And this isn't, you know, a Florida specific thing. We've seen like Alabama be the first scholarship offer for players like in Texas and Georgia, which it shouldn't happen, but it does happen. So um, I, I think you got to trust your gut and evaluate because the, the majority of college coaches, unfortunately for them, one of the first questions they ask when they're looking at a player like, hey, Josiah Davis does a lot of things. He's versatile. He's big. He's physical. I like him. He's, he's aggressive. Who's who's offered him, coach? High school coaches don't want to hear that because it's it's a lack of confidence in your own evaluation. Trust your eyes. Trust your gut. And in your own system, who cares who else has gone in on him? But there are programs, and it's probably the majority at this point, that won't jump in on a Josiah Davis unless a Florida or Georgia has has offered him a scholarship at this point. It's almost like you just want to be thrown into the mix as opposed to be to being a, a lightning rod moment in this kid's recruitment, like Florida's offer was to Davis. They were already recruiting him before they offered him, which is another kind of rarity in the process. So I just think it it's more conviction in your own evaluation skill and your own ability to, to see things long-term and project. So typically the schools that give that benefit of the doubt with the early offer or, or jumping in before the other big schools, they get rewarded because now you're, you were the first one that took a chance. I mean, how many go on social media right now, you can search for a blue chip recruit. That's like, this was the first school to give me a chance, you know, and that still matters, even though you got 40 scholarship offers to your name. So uh, I just think it's really a self-confidence type of deal and understanding what you are valuing on the recruiting trail. So I'm all for schools that are bold enough to do that especially out of state. It's one thing to do it to a Tyree Patterson close to home where it's, you know, kind of hard to get to. Maybe not everybody's seen him, but when you go out of state and do it like, like this example with Josiah Davis, I like that even more because now you're, now you're really kind of strutting your stuff uh, to a higher degree because the in-state schools haven't even jumped in just yet. So I, I like that type of move in general and especially from Florida going out of state. Yeah, and Josiah Davis, he's, he's picked up a few Power 5 offers now. He's got Kentucky, and I believe he's planning a visit there. But how does that really impact his rating? Like, is this uh, a chicken or the egg argument where it's like, oh, which came first? Like, is he about to climb up the rankings and because he's getting these offers? Or is he getting these offers because they're like, hey, he he should be at this spot? Right, right. It's look, there's no two stars that are going to uh, sign with Florida, let's say. Right. So and, and that's why. Right. You have to reassess. But look, everything's a data point. And I know it's kind of frowned upon by the fans. Like, oh, well, you didn't look at Josiah Davis until Florida offered him. But it's like it's March. I mean, this is the data point that we need to consider in this process. So whatever whatever the point is that as an evaluator makes you look back or recheck a kid that maybe you overlooked or didn't spend enough time on whatever prompts you to do that is not a bad thing. So yeah, often it looks like a reciprocation. Oh, well, he's an SEC target for multiple schools. So we probably need to bump him up to at least a three star. Um, it, it's not that simple. It never is in this process. I've been at three of the four major outlets that do this. Um, it, it's just kind of coincidence, but yeah, from a timeline perspective, it is a chicken and the egg type of situation because you're not going to be a, a Florida Gator target as an unknown, unranked type of recruit for very long. It's just not something that history tells us would, would work out well for, for anybody. So, yeah, um, it, it goes both ways, but everything's a data point, and, and you should give these guys the benefit of the doubt. All right. 
Thank you so much, John. This is John Garcia, Lockdown's Recruiting Insider. Catch him all throughout the Lockdown College channel, Lockdown Network, every day that you can get him. <laughs> and every week he will be here on Lockdown Gators. Yes, sir.